Coming up this week, off screen. Catherine Bigelow takes us to Detroit. Channing Tatum is Logan Lucky. Tom Cruise is American Maid. Scarlett Johansson has a rough night. Bill Nye hunts for Limehouse Gollum. Rooney Mara is Una. We check into Hotel Salvation. Terminator 2 is back in 3D. And there's a wick in a bush. Bushwick! All those to come and more, off screen. This is... This is off screen. Off screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to this week's Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. I am Case Allen. Mr. Allen, we're back for one more weekend. We're off we've, next we've week. Returned. Yeah, we're, we're taking it easy. Taking it easy. Well, you know, it's, it's it's bank holiday week next week, so there's nothing out, really. There's, there's three screenings. Yeah. And we've got a couple of next week's screenings this week, so we're just going to do a one and a half film, you know, film length show and, and do a couple of next weeks along with this week's and that's my plan. We're good. We're good. We're men with we're men with plan. That's what it is. Men with plan. Not men with plan. Not men with Ven. Not men with Ven, men with plan. So a man with a plan twice. Uh so Mr. Allen, before the reviews, before the news, before the box office top ten, let's start with one key piece of film news to get us going this week. What have you got for me, good sir? Something big. Do you know famed filmmaker Todd Phillips? He of old school and uh, the, the Starsky and Hutch movie fame. All <laughs> of the films that you go for and not The Hangover or The, the, the Hungover. The Hungover when, trilogy? Yeah. I think, I think we can call them that now. Let's, it, let's do that. But well, the franchise is dead. Yeah. We yeah, are so, officially hungover. Yeah, that's it. And, and that film sort of gets a remake this week, so that's kind topical. Kind of, yeah. Topical, yeah. Tying it all together. Oh, she's not really more very bad things. But anyway, so go on. It's kind of very bad things. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, getting together with a uh, young upstart by the name of uh, Martin Scorsese. Wait, wait, wait. So, the director of War Dogs mm. is teaming up with the director of Cundon. The director of After Hours. Really? Yes. The, the director of Cape Fear. The director of Bring Out Your Dead. <laughs> Okay, so what? I'm trying to think of any more obscure minds. I know, I really am. The Last Temptation of Christ director is turning up with the man who t- is, is teaming up with the man who gave us. I'm almost out here, Todd Phillips wise. Due date? Uh, due date. Due date is what it is, yes. Yeah. Okay. What? I thought film was I thought that film was gonna be better than it was. I did as well. You, well yeah. of course you did. I, I really did. It was you RDJ's were, first... You were knelt uh, down to your vigil to RDJ. Yeah, well, it was his first post Iron Man, post Sherlock Holmes, straight comedic role. Yeah. And he was the best thing about it. Give him his dues. Absolutely. Give him his dues for the due date, but there you go. Yeah. So what Magnum Opus are the director of Old School and the director of The Departed teaming up for? Um, like, I don't think that this is a delayed April Fool's joke. Oh, it would be a hell of a delayed one. Yeah. Or maybe a crazy, like, premature one. Okay. But uh, apparently they're going to be doing uh, a Joker origin movie. Uh, as in Batman the Joker? Yes. Oh. Not, not about, like, Joker in a pack of cards. Oh, like, okay. That Joker. Oh, wow, that would be an origin story. How did the Joker get... Added to I'd the deck of cards. I'd yeah. watch that movie starring as, as, you, It's kind of like the, the dictionary film we're going to get from yeah. uh, Mel Gibson. But imagine like a seventeenth-century period piece. You know, Hugh Jackman in a cravat. You know, the struggling card deck designer looking for a way to. Yeah. All of which Jackie sounds. Haley plays the yeah, Joker. Of course. Yeah. All of which sounds more interesting than giving the Joker an origin movie. Yeah. Well, apparently it's going to be an origin movie and then a, a spin-off as well. And. Oh my god! And it's not Jared Leto, is it? They said it's no. not going to be him. Which, <laughs> which may be the best part about that, this news. That's the best news, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because no, 
no, no more Jared Leto. Apparently he's coming back twice. We don't need him. Please, no more <laughs> yeah. Leto. We, um, we, we don't need him to come back once, though. I learned twice. No, I don't need Jared Leto back as the Joker ever. What the hell was that thing? Was yeah. D'Antwood? It was very D'Antwood. Very D'Antwood, yeah. It didn't, it didn't offend me, but I also never want to see it again. My, my response <laughs> to seeing Jared Leto's performance as the Joker was, wow, Heath Ledger is literally spinning in his grave right now. Well, you said it reminded me of uh, that thing from Family Guy, where she was like, it's not that I want her to die, it's just I don't want her to be alive anymore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But, yeah, uh, uh, I'll I'll watch it definitely. I mean, um, Scott says his name on it. I'll watch it. You know, Todd Phillips, Iowa one after War Dogs. That was good. I'll, I'll watch pretty much anything that Mark Scott says he is attached to, him, but that is including vinyl. But then again, I didn't make it past. Well, apparently, no one watched vinyl, so that's why we're I, I watched the first episode. That's it. I got distracted by roadies. Anyway, so uh, let's do the first review of the week, and we're starting off with a bit of a mid-level one. This is this is neither neither particularly great nor 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 in any way bad. Uh, let's start with American Made, which of course reteams Tom Cruise with Doug Liman, who directed him in Edge of Tomorrow. Did he? They've yes. not worked together before, that, have they? I don't think so. No, he may have written some things, but Tom Cruise. Well, this is the weird thing. They've both had projects out this summer. Hmm. So Doug Lyman had The Wall with John Cena and Aaron Taylor Johnson, which was kind of quietly it was really shuffled. Small, wasn't it? Yeah, that was yeah. shuffled away in the in the sort of break yeah. when everyone was off. And Tom Cruise had uh, The Mummy, where he wore a fake butt. Don't Did he you... wear a fake butt? Yeah, have you seen that picture? Was no. this week? Yeah. Do you wear a fake butt? Well, I'm big look... old fake booty. I'm, I'm looking that up. I never knew Tom Cruise was a man that had to resort to uh, fake cheeks, but uh... it's like or feeks. A feeks, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like a Nicki Minaj in like. Cargo pants. Oh, okay, then. It's great. That's that's random. I'm going to have to look at what the story is behind that. So, anyway, they've teamed up now, and this is based on true events. It's the story of uh, a, a 70s air, a US airline pilot, a commercial airline pilot, who's in a bit of a rut. In that same way that Ed Helms was at the beginning of the Vacation uh, remake. He's just, it, it's a sort of, it's a slog. He wakes up in a different city and then just gets back on the plane and commutes back. And he finds it kind of an unfulfilling life. And the only real thing he's getting out of it, sort of, uh, you know, cheeky thrill-wise, is he's smuggling in cigars from Cuba and selling them to people he knows in the airport. And one day, Donald Gleeson turns up. Hey. Because that's how all films get better. Donald Gleeson turns up. Yeah. It, and then you make it better by having his dad in it. But sadly, that's not the case. That's not the case. But that's how... Like, Dark Tower would have been better if halfway through, Donald Gleeson just turns up. Yeah. For no reason other than say, hi, and then who, who, who are you playing? I'm playing the Tower. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, he turns up, he works for the CIA, and he offers uh, Barry, played by Tom Cruise, a job. Which I is... Don't, I don't believe Tom Cruise playing someone named Barry. Pierce Brosnan once played a scientist named Larry. I, I get that. Bear, bear that in mind. Yeah. I mean, I know it was it was Lawrence, but yeah, still. So you know, we've had a Barry, we've had a Larry. <laughs> Let's call the whole thing off. Um, so CIA offer Tom Cruise a job. We don't want you to smuggle cigars. What we want you to do is quit the airline. We'll set you up in a front company, you know, doing commercial airline consulting during office hours. And when office hours are over, we want you to actually smuggle stuff for us. Well, what, what, well, we want you to actually fly these planes over South America, specially outfitted with cameras, and take surveillance photos for us. Because this is obviously at the height of, like, Noriega, the Medellin cartel, these sort of elements. And Tom Cruise's character is notoriously sleazy, notoriously opportunistic, and decides he's going to use it to smuggle some things back for himself. And he finds himself getting in deeper and deeper with the cartels. But, of course, he's a CIA asset, so he's kind of allowed to get away with all this stuff. But, in truth, 
true Goodfellas fashion, because it kind of owes a debt to things like Goodfellas. Uh, 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 Blow as well. It's a little bit like Blow. With uh, Johnny Depp. With Johnny Depp. And another Johnny Depp film, Donnie Brasco. You know the scenes when they're in Florida and they're like loading up with cash? Lots of stuff like that. Here is a clip of Donald Gleeson explaining how this setup works. CIA owns this? No. No. Uh, Independent aviation consultants. I-A-C. Yeah. You run the company, but after hours, you work for us. Takes pictures? The work is covert. Covert. So uh, anyone finds out about it, uh, family, friends, even uh, Lucy. It's Lucy, right? Yeah, that's right. That'd be a problem. Oh, this is legal? If you're doing it for the good guys? Yeah. <laughs> Just don't get caught. That's a, a level of government sleaze that only Donald Gleeson could make charming, isn't it? But, yeah, so CIA front company, their initials are ICA. So, uh, IAC, sorry. So, yeah, they put a lot of thought into that one. Um, the film, I think, based on, on true elements, actually comes across as kind of brilliantly, subversively funny because it's one of those stories, like, I can't believe this really happened. And yet, most of it did. I, you know, I looked into it. It seems that most of this is kind of on the money. That's what happened. And there's a lot of money on display. Um, Tom Cruise is doing that whole night and day thing. You know when he was a bit of a rogue, kind of slightly unhinged, opportunistic? That. He's doing that here, but he's doing it for a more criminal character. And the results are a little bit surprising, actually. You have a lot more fun with him than you'd expect. Sarah Wright Olsen gets the sort of token, you know, her indoors kind of role. Um, but, yeah, it, it's really only Tom Cruise's show. There's a very uh, a very free-flowing supporting cast who come and go, they weave in and out, but it really, Donald Gleeson seems to be the, the sort of mainstay of it all. Um, I had fun with it. I did think I enjoyed it. I thought, actually, this is pretty decent. I didn't think it was great. It doesn't have the usual, you know, oomph that a Doug Lyman film usually has. I mean, The Wall was a, a movie made on that oomph factor. This doesn't quite have that. It feels like Doug Lyman wanted his own version of Blow. And that's what you get. I mean, uh, I think James King and I were talking about it. And we said it's like it's like combination of blow and night and day. And James King's now coined the term night and blow, which I think would be a brilliant poster tagline. That we'll credit to him. I think that one. But uh, I, I, I couldn't put my name under that in good conscience. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I uh, not it's not going to you know change the world for anyone. This is not going to redefine anyone's idea of the cinematic landscape. But it's perfectly enjoyable, perfectly engaging, sort of hundred minute long blow knockoff starring Tom Cruise in night and day mode. And yeah. you know he might be wearing a fake butt. He might be wearing a fake butt, which is now going to be the thing I'm thinking forever of every Tom Cruise film. It, it will haunt your dreams forever. So let's plug the uh, podcast edition real quick because we've not got any competitions on this week. Um, extended podcast edition. You can yeah, loads of films we can't fit in this week. So yeah, Limehouse, got, got four. yeah, Limehouse Golem, Una, Hotel Salvation, and A Wick in a Bush. Bush, Bush Wick. Wick. Uh, all those on the podcast edition, along with the Moment of Cage, more film news, and a few more bleeps than you could be accustomed to. Otherwise, uh, yeah, you can find that on iTunes, on yeah, Deezer. Get a, get a little bit blue. Get a bit blue for get dads. A bit blue. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, you find that on iTunes, Deezer, uh, uh, what do you call it, the TuneIn, uh, Acast, where you get the digital blink, and you can skip to the segments you like because of the digital blink. It's quite a cool little function. Yeah, check it out. With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen. The on-screen radio show. And we're back. So, Mr. Allen, whilst you uh, dig your phone out, where did you put your phone? Has it fallen under the desk? 
it's on the desk. It's on the desk. It was hiding, okay. it was hiding in plain sight the whole time. Just like uh, Tom Cruise's butt. Tom, Tom Cruise's <laughs> butt. Trying to mention it in every block. So let's let's move on, move away from Tom Cruise's butt, and let's talk about a butt that uh, many a woman has enjoyed in uh, recent in two films in recent years. Uh, let's talk about Logan Lucky, which stars uh, Channing Tatum's butt. Not not just women, my friend. Not just women. No, no, no. Indeed, those yeah. films are universally beloved. Um, I'm a very big fan of uh, uh, what do you call it? Jada Pinkett in the second one, but can't I, explain that. I've never been a fan of her in anything. No, I, neither have I. That's yeah. why I can't explain it. I just love her in that movie. Um, oh, also. Andy McDowell. Anyway, Logan Lucky, which is the latest film from the ever-increasingly retired uh, Steven Soderbergh, <laughs> yeah. um, who threatens to retire and then just makes another film. Yeah. Because this is what he's done now for about ten years. Yeah, he's very much the, the Dominic Toretto of the... Yeah, he is. One, one last one, ride. One more ride. Yeah. yeah. For family. Anyway, um, so this time, actually, we, we kind of think like The Fast and Furious. This is an ensemble sort of familial team-up movie. It sees... Um, Channing Tatum's construction worker um, basically made redundant whilst working on the construction, uh, sort of a refit of the uh, the motor speedway where they host the NASCAR every year. The, the sort of main uh, main focal point of NASCAR culture. Um, he decides in turn when he finds out that his ex-wife Katie Holmes is going to move their daughter out of state with her new boyfriend slash husband. He's going to rob the speedway in order to get the money to to, to stop her and basically have, retain access to his kid. He teams up with his brother, a one-armed. Iraq war veteran played by naturally enough Adam Driver because that's who I think of when I think of uh, one armed Iraq veterans. Yeah, well, he he is a veteran in his own right. He is. He, that's the weird life. thing. Yeah. yeah, and then they they turn to an explosives expert named Joe Bang, an incarcerated <laughs> man played by a new actor named Daniel Craig. Yeah, first first role. It's leave. literally introducing Daniel Craig. Is what the film says. It's amazing. Who then forces them to involve his two younger brothers, who are sort of backwards hicks. One of them seems to know computers. The other one is just there. Mm. And the five of them, along with uh, the Logan's sister, so, uh, Riley. Riley Keough, set out to rob the Speedway. But because they're forced to up their timetable due to unforeseen circumstances, they have to rob it in the middle of the busiest busiest race of the season, the biggest, most high-profile event of the season. We have a clip of the two brothers meeting Daniel Craig's Joe Bang for the first time. I got five months to go in here. I should probably lay low a bit before doing a job. This has to happen in five weeks. I am incarcerated. Yeah, we got a plan to get you out. So, this is the sort of film that, if you'd made it 30 years ago, would have starred Burt Reynolds. Hmm. Right. The film is such a Midwestern, American heartland, good old boys, kind of a 70s-style romp, although very much set in the now. You know, iPhones, Twitter, things like that, they're in there. But you do spend the entire film thinking, 
you know, Burt Reynolds has got a cameo in this. He's got to, in order to complete... Yeah, the, it sounds yeah. very Smokey and the Bandit. It is very Smokey and the Bandit. Smokey and the Bandit does Ocean's Eleven, would best be the best way to describe it. Daniel Craig absolutely owns the show. Mm. He's fantastically I've, fun in this. I've heard that they could be campaigning for a best supporting, and that'd be amazing. I wouldn't be surprised, he's, and I would be... He's not been nominated before, yeah. but I'd be ace. I'd be very happy with it. Yeah. I really would. Um, great, great talent all round. Um, even <laughs> Managed to enjoy Seth MacFarlane as uh, as a British just Spinal Tap style British NASCAR driver. The only thing with the film is, although it's very very fun, I didn't realize he was British. He's British, yeah. Mm. Oh, but he's like a proper, you know, mate, British. <laughs> Amazing. He he's doing the whole uh, Don Cheadle from Ocean's Eleven thing here. Barney Rubble, exactly. <laughs> or we're in Barney, yeah, exactly. Barney Rubble. <laughs> I'm not going to repeat my favourite lines of his from that movie because yeah. they're amazing. Anyway, um, so despite the fact that it's very fun, that the twists do work, that it is brilliantly entertained, that it has genuine things to say about the perception and subversion of American heartland culture, the downside of the film actually is that it contains far too many elements that simply don't need to be there. So, for instance, Seth MacFarlane, for instance, Sebastian Stan, and they are right sort of rival, uh, begrudging uh, teammates. Mm. Um, Hilary Swank, who turns up towards the end as a, a, a local uh, law enforcement officer who's hunting them, and you think these are elements that didn't need to be here, and you could have had a very tidy ninety minutes at this, and it would have really been something to shout home about. As it is, it is one of the better films of this summer. I do think it's so much fun. It's worth seeing. If you want something like Ocean's Eleven, starring Chantete and Adriver... Made, made by the guy that did Ocean's Eleven. Exactly, from the Ocean's Eleven. But it does kind of feel like he was feeling a bit insecure about there being an Ocean's Eight and him not directing. <laughs> so he thought, I'm going to show you that I'm so good at this, I can do it with Rednecks. on Ocean's Eight? I think he is. That's pretty cool. But yeah, I it's like, like I can not only do this, I can do it with Rednecks. So, <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It turns out he really can. So have you got any news real quick? I got, I got a couple of pieces. Give me something quick to tell us, like a thirty-seconder. Thirty-second one. Um, have you heard who uh, the highest-paying actor of the past few years is? No, is it? Who would you guess? I would guess Sir Gerald of Butler. Uh, no, not even in the top twenty. Of course, he's not. Not even in the top twenty. Is it Christian Slater? <laughs> no, despite his amazing appearance in Rick and Morty the other day, <laughs> it really was. Uh, it is uh, Marky Mark. Marky Mark? Who I'm presuming... Of the Philadelphia Marks? Of the Philadelphia Warbucks. Well, no, of the Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, they are Boston, aren't they? Yes. Uh, I'm assuming signed an amazingly good deal for Transformers. Transformers, yeah. Yeah. Good God. I will be in it, as long as you can guarantee I'll be paid more than Barack. I, who, who is second. Yeah, yeah that's And then uh, Vin is third. Uh, Adam Sandler, number four, which I'm guessing is Netflix. Uh. And then... Who do you think is number five? I find this really interesting. No, no idea. Go on. Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan? Mm. Did he get some of the back end from Kung Fu Panda 3? Because that'd, that, be, that'd be great. I think that's what that is. Oh, also, he's getting some of that Lego dosh now. That's what it he is. He is, yeah. He's playing yeah. like a grandmastery character. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Yeah. That's what that is. Ninja Go. I always want to say Ninja Gogo. Ninja Gogo? Is it? Now, Chris Honeyset pronounced his son's really into it. Some people say Ninjago. Yeah, he says Ninjago. Now, I would assume because his son watches the show that that probably is the pronunciation. It probably is Ninjago. But yeah. But I'm looking forward to Ninjago. I'm looking forward to that film, actually. With Sag Woods in it and Kumail. We're going to love this. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Fred Armisen's in it. It's it's got a really great cast. So, you know what we have to talk about now, don't you? It's, It's time. It's time for the one, the only... 
Or Judgment Day? Judgment Day? Because it's the American spelling, doesn't have the E in it. So I'm just going with Judgment Day. Americans. Americans. Embrace, like, the letter U, for God's sake. I know. (laughs) Spell colour right. So Terminator 2 is back. It's in cinemas. It's in 3D. So what's the plot of Terminator 2? Well, if you've been living under a rock for 25 years now, it is the sequel to one of the greatest uh, sci-fi horror action thrillers of ever. Um, It is the film that made James Cameron solidified once and for all as not just the dude that did Aliens in the Abyss, but the man that could direct the hell out of anything. Mm -hmm. Years later, he would put this to the real test with uh, giant Smurf people. But for now, he has... So the idea is um, the, the the world ends in 1997. There's an apocalypse. Robots gain sentience. They nuke the world. Flash forward to uh, the savior of the human race, and they decide in 2029, when they're constantly fighting up against this guy, whose name is John Connor, that they are going to travel back in time for the second attempt on this dude's life. This time, when he is officially a 10-year-old boy. I've had that confirmed now. He is meant to be 10. Right. Uh, a 10-year-old boy, played by Edward Furlong, and he's a sort of rebellious outcast, sort of, uh, I, I'm so rebellious. He's more like 15, 16, isn't he? He is, yeah. yeah. But, you know, you can tell he's a, a rebellious kid because he wears his public enemy T-shirt with such pride. Yeah. And, he's, and, and his all, camo and Guns shirt. Guns Moses are always playing really yeah. loudly when Listen it's to screen. Public Enemy and yeah. Guns N' Roses in 1991. Isn't his friend the kid from Big as well? I think so, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the best the, friend from the, Big. The ginger one. And the only good thing about Judgment Day is that that kid is dead. That's the only thing. That kid dying is the best part of Judgment Day. Anyway, so um, this time Skynet, the evil computer, sends back sends back another Terminator, this time a more advanced one, a T-1000, a liquid metal polymimic alloy or something like that, who can assume the identity of anyone of equal size. and chooses to look like Robert Patrick because he's terrifying. He would. His ears are huge. Exactly. So, they send a reprogrammed Arnold Schwarzenegger back in time to protect him. This time there's a good Terminator, there's a bad Terminator, and once they've escaped him, here is their plot to prevent a Judgment Day itself. We have to destroy all the stuff at the lab, the files, the disk drives, everything. Everything here. Everything. I don't care. The chip. Do you know about the chip? What chip? They keep it in a vault at Cyberdyne. It must be from the other one, like you. The CPU from the first Terminator. Son of a... I knew it! They told us not to ask where they got it. It was scary stuff, radically advanced. I mean, it, it was smashed, it didn't work, but... It gave us ideas, took us in new directions. I mean, things we would have never... Th- All my work was based on it. Okay, what a film this still is, to this day. It is. Not only is it probably the best sequel ever made, and I'm sorry, I think this is genuinely a better sequel than The Godfather. Better than Godfather 2. Better than Godfather 2. Better than Spider-Man 2. Better, better than The Dark Knight. Better than uh, Piranha 3DD. Better than Piranha 3DD, man. Which is weirdly, isn't that a remake of a sequel yeah. made by James Cameron? That was his first film, wasn't it? I think that was his yeah, first story yeah. of was Piranha 2 Flying Killers in late 78, I think. Anyway, so... Good uh, JC knowledge. Good JC knowledge, man. Well, if I must know AJC, I'd rather it be James Cameron. Anyway, uh, it holds up. It's been cleaned up... Uh, what would James Cameron do? What would James Cameron do? Yeah, exactly. Probably make, like, four sequels. Make four sequels it. and dedicate a decade to it for yeah. no reason. And then hang out at the bottom of the ocean past the time. Um, well, that's what he does. If that's I what he does. 
it holds up. It's been rescrubbed in full-blown 4K, ultra-high definition. You can see the effort there on the screen. You can also see the the labor and the intense effort that's been put into the 3D conversion as well. I saw this in digital 3D. Uh, more effort has been put into the set-piece moments, obviously, than the actual character moments. But the future war looks amazing. The freeway chase, the cop shootout, the steel mill, it all looks stunning in 3D. Um there has also been a controversial re-edit, by the way, where they have uh, they fixed a continuity gaffe in uh, Robert Patrick driving the uh, the semi truck off of the freeway. Mm. The disappearing and reappearing windshield has been corrected. James Cameron has corrected that. So, if you're listening, George Lucas, that's what you do to your movies after the fact. You don't make a different movie out of them. It yeah. doesn't work that way. We, we don't need additional CGI jabber. No one needs Hayden Christensen in there. No one, not know-how, nobody. Apart from maybe Rachel Bilson. Apart from Rachel Bilson. Still can't believe that one. Uh, yes, it holds up. It's still great. It's still a spectacle. It looks amazing in 3D. And you know what else it's got that no other film has? Blue Cats. That too. <laughs> but yes, absolutely. If you can see the film on, on the big screen, do. If you're not a fan of 3D, see it anyway, because you know what? Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth, it's Terminator 2. And you should always see that, because it's always awesome. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen, the on-screen radio show. Come with me if you want to and we're back, Mr. Allen. So... Where should we go next? Before, do you want to do a, do a piece of film news after I talk about R- Rough Night? Because I know we've been uh, itching yeah, to talk about Yeah, let's that. talk about Rough Night now. So I, I've not seen it yet. It, uh, it's been dumped out, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Rather like unceremoniously. Unceremoniously there, chucked there was, out. There was a lot of press about it in America. The yep. marketing machine was huge for it. It came up uh, maybe two months ago. Something, something like that, yeah. Something it was a summer comedy. Yeah, and, and, and it's got a hell of a cast. It's yeah, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Kate McKinnon, Ilana Glazer, uh, Zoe Kravitz, Gillian Bell, Ty Burrell, Demi Moore, uh, Colton Haynes from Arrow turns up, um, Dean Winters, uh, the 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 weird replacement love interest from the second Miss Congeniality movie, and three other people as well, and and at least like three other SAG card carrying members. So yeah, yeah, yeah there's there's a cast there, and the plot is uh, the plot of very bad things. So yeah, you, like to the letter, to the letter. So this time, rather than guys going on a bachelor party, it's girls on a bachelorette weekend. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, who hasn't seen her college friends in many years, she's now a straight laced girl who's given up her parting way. She's running for state senate as well and uh, because that's when you get married in the middle of your senate campaign that's mm. apparently that never comes up by the way that actually never comes up in the film it's just like a throwaway line yeah why would you get married in the middle of this this senatorial campaign it doesn't the timing's a bit off maybe she can get like a discount at city hall well that that and also how do the optics work with the election campaign how do you because you were running as a single woman mm. And I'm not quite sure how you run that publicity-wise, because American voters are notoriously fickle, but also at the same... Never mind. I feel like I have an automatic response now, but whenever I just hear the word election, I'm sick a little bit in my mouth. Hashtag impeach Trump. Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, you're totally. Um, not, not that we're dropping anything in there at all. Uh, right, so, so anyway, the girls all get back together. They go for a night on the town. You know, old rivalries, fl- rivalries flare up. Old relationships are rekindled. Two of the girls, for instance, were a couple in college, and... 
and uh, one of them has has gotten married after college, is now going through a divorce, so there's a sort of will-they-get-back-together kind of an element. Julian Bell's character is feeling sort of pushed away by Scarlett Johansson, who she was always closest to, and edged out by her new friend, who is uh, Kate, Kate McKinnon, because apparently borrowing the idea of the Australian new alpha friend is not something that you can just come up with. You have to just borrow it liberally from Bridesmaids. Yeah. Anyway... Because, yeah, see, they did it with an Australian actress there as well. McKinnon's not Australian. She just puts on... She's got an awful, awful accent. You'll hear her in the clip, by the way. So the plot is, they kill the stripper, Mm. they have to get rid of the body, uh, and Christian Slater's not in this one. Here's a clip. Okay, Okay. Okay, guys, I can't do any cocaine. I'm very jet-lagged, so I will do cocaine, yes. So everyone's in. Guys, hold on. I don't know. Jess, come on, just do some cocaine! Jesus, Ricky... Sorry, I did a little bit of it. Jess? It would mean so much to me. If we could do a little bit of cocaine to you know that voice that Gillian Bell puts on just then, which is, it would mean so much to me. That reminds me of when Cassie's sort of mockingly trying to talk us into something. That voice. I've yeah, heard Cassie do that pretty, exact voice. Pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, you know the one. I'm sure you've heard that a lot. <laughs> but uh, right, so um, it's not bad. I, I don't see why you dump it out at all. Um, it's the problem with it. Really, is it's not very funny. It's not very funny. It's not very well defined. It's also, kind of what you want for a comedy, isn't it? Yeah, you kind of want the film to be funny. It's a comedy. Uh, elements of it are not particularly well thought out. Hence <laughs> the whole election thing. But. Uh, there's also this attempt to be subversive. So what they've done is they've inverted the guys and the girls' roles. So, you know, the girls go on the, the rampant, cocktail-fueled, booty-shaking, twerking weekend. Mm-hmm. And the guys, uh, who, by the way, the guys' gathering features Hassan Minaj and uh, Eric Andre as well. Oh, and nice. the, the central, I like both those guys. You do, I know. The central gag is that the guys are having like a quiet, civilised wine tasting, and that's the bachelor party. So it's playing with some subversive roles, but never quite as cleverly as it thinks it is. So, for instance, the girl-girl couple element isn't quite as edgy as the film seems to believe that it is. And it plays with it in such a way that you're like, really? Because you're kind of being a bit pandering here. There's another element with, uh, there's a couple next door, Tyrol and Demi Moore, and the idea is that they're swingers. And this goes in in a somewhat predictable, although minorly further direction than you expect to do. But again, you sit there and think, okay, I don't think this is as shocking as you think it is either. And there's loads of elements like this that you're just like, it doesn't it feels like you are afraid of your own r rating Hmm. you've got an r rating why not enjoy that why not actually be as brave as the male equivalent would have been show 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 some penis show some penis is actually a thing yeah show some penis hashtag keep the penis yeah hashtag save the penis (laughs) yeah it's like free the nipple only yeah yeah Uh, because we're we're big with our uh, our activism movements anyway um but uh, this is the thing so there's a whole sequence where they have to identify a guy for instance by his genitals and this takes the form of the back of ilana glazer's head an actress who is known for starring in broad city and if you've ever seen that pretty day if you see that show it's amazing that she'd star in something this sort of watered down Mm. It's the back of her head, and there's a lowering of some well, it's pants. Not just that. It's some people behind the show as well. But the writer and director. I know the director. I think so. But I'm not sure. it all feels a bit weak. Source and the fact that it's not 
anywhere near it's chucklesome but it's not actually funny mm. is kind of adding insult to injury there. I know you would have expected really good things of this given the, the, the talent involved yeah given the people in the film because both you and I your wife our collective friends we all watch the shows that most of these people come from mm. and we're big fans of, of how dirty and risque they are this film does not live up to that it's not a rough night but it, it's fairly tumultuous getting through it if we're honest so tumultuous night is not a good topic. tumultuous night should be apparently it's called girls night out in certain other realms why would you just call it that here well because girls trip came out recently as well girls so, trip. Yeah. and that apparently cleaned this one's clocks at the box office really did yeah but, so um have you got anything before we move on to the top top five uh i'd just like to go straight to the top five personally well you know what i'm, I'm a big fan of indulging you so uh, your wish is my command number five dark tower which is this century's 1998 Avengers. Oh. You remember the Sean Connery, uh, Ray Fiennes, Uma Thurman, and the Avengers? It's my favourite Avengers. <laughs> this is... It, it's, it's an unfinished film. They, they've put out a film that's unfinished, and you watch it thinking, this is not a complete film. Mm. You've clearly left too many elements out of this for in, every, in, in to any, any way be considered a finished film. It makes no sense. I mean, I say this, I say this having never read the books. I don't have time for the mammoth universe that is the Dark Tower series, which is about 800 installments long now. It's like eight novels, so many dozen comic books, there's video games, every, and they're all canonical. But I don't have time for that in my life. I barely... I'm, I'm trying to rewatch Babylon 5 at the moment. I've gotten through three episodes in two weeks. <laughs> anyway, and I haven't watched Hard Ticket to Hawaii either, before you ask. That I'm, should have been thing I'm, one really, you watched. I, I know, I know, I know. I watched The Untamed instead, and boy, did I feel bad for it. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's just badly lit, comically acted garbage that... You know what? I'll be really honest... 90 minutes is too long for this. It, it's such it's such an unbelievable mess that you look at it and just think, Matthew McConaughey's been directed clearly just to, just to, just to pepper proceedings a little bit, just to season this all up. Just, I've not seen this yet, but people are saying that to do this story justice, you need way more than 90 minutes. And the, well, idea, the idea behind this, apparently, is set it up, have people enjoy it i guess and then do sequels do the tv show yeah, well set you know up in that uh, way. can't but, figure that out yeah i mean but it seems right. a little backwards here's the bullet point version okay idris elba's vaguely cool as a sort of sci-fi gunslinger fine he, he's saddled with a completely char- charismaless kid who weirdly resembles silas from weeds um matthew mcconaughey is chewing the scenery in a way that weirdly reminds you of the movie jonah hex um, and you come away from the whole thing and thinking the last time I saw a film this disastrous it was Jupiter Ascending I could not genuinely tell you what the Dark Tower is for what it does or why Matthew McConaughey wants to destroy it couldn't tell you any of that and that genuinely is the plot of the movie number four the Emoji Movie which is a better movie than the Dark Tower seriously not kidding people have been decrying the Emoji Movie is one of the worst things to hit cinemas in years no no, 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 no. The Dark Tower is worse. The Emoji Movie, I laughed a few times. I laughed more in the Emoji Movie than I did in Rough Night. And make of that what you will. Um, it, it by the, it's a by-the-numbers kids movie, you know, wrapped around a horrible display of corporate cynicism, which itself is wrapped around this faint ember of, of comedic talent struggling in vain to break out and actually entertain us. But you know what? It's bright, it's colourful, it's got James Corden in it. Kids are going to love it. Number three. Annabelle Creation. Perfectly enjoyable horror movie. 
kind of liked it. There were some scares, there were some jumps, there was some atmospheric chilling going on. It's it's way better than the first movie. It is to that first movie what Ouija the, the Origins was to Ouija. Is it Ouija? I say Ouija. I say Ouija. What Ouija Origins or Ouija the Beginning, whatever that sequel is called, was to the first one of that. It is way, way better. It is the Conjuring prequel we also clearly deserved and were burnt by the last time around. Uh, definitely see. If you like the Conjuring movies, you're going to love this. Number two. Don Kirk. Please take it away. You've seen this one. It's good, isn't it? It's good, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's been here five weeks, so I was going to say. It's finally off the top spot. Yes. I know. I'm, I'm the film we predicted would be at number one. Exactly. Um, spoiler. It, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. Good clock. It's great on IMAX. Uh, it's good on a regular screen. Good on a regular screen. It's great in every possible way you could see it. Fantastic sound design. Uh, great production design. Fantastic cinematography by the wonderful name Hoyt van Hoytema. Um, yeah, it's academically Christopher Nolan's best film, and we, everybody should be seeing it. I hope everyone has. I was in a Curzon the other night, and everyone was going to see Dunkirk rather than the screening of Detroit. I was in. Um, go and see it. I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. Number one. And I will love you. The Hitman's Kevin Costner. Which I haven't seen, but you have. You've still not seen it? I've not seen it. Although, I'm going to make a bet with you here and now. If I don't get to see it this Friday, mm. which is the day I usually go to the public screen, um, if I don't see it this Friday, I will hold off entirely until home release, and you can just time. you can just be I Hitman's bodyguard guy. Oh. You can, you can have the sole critical opinion <laughs> of the Hitman. So every time that film comes up... Well, that might be pretty boring, because every week I'll probably just be like, yeah, I enjoyed it, it was funny. Well, <laughs> you seem to be in a minority... Yeah. There's there's a lot of snobbery going on. Well, of course there is. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what? But to hell with those people. Because, you know, it's an action comedy. It's got some action, it's got some comedy. What no, do you I want? mean, that's, that's my trouble with film critics and also kind of being a quasi-film critic myself. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, I don't know. I, I obviously have issues with things sometimes, but I don't think my opinion's that important for people to really listen to. Is this worth your 12 quid? Yeah, of you course. Got, you got there's 12 quid's worth of entertainment out of it. There's quips and explosions. I didn't pay £12 for it, but if I did, I wouldn't be terribly... You know, won't feel bad. Fair enough. Yeah. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The on-screen radio show. And we're back, and apparently £12 lighter. <laughs> <laughs> So, what have we got next? I give us some news before we go to Detroit. Um, so, we've been trying to make a Knight Rider film adaptation oh, for, for a years. long time. Uh, Chris Pratt was attached at one point, um, playing David. Uh, Danny McBride. Playing David? Yeah. Okay, that's what we're going with. That would be almost ironic now, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Who else, sir? Uh, Danny McBride. Uh, although I don't know if he was uh, meant to be playing the lead role or the voice of Kit. Or the voice of the car. I wouldn't want a car that sounded like Danny McBride. Would you want a car that sounds like uh, Kevin Hart? Uh, I think that would get tiresome really quickly. It really would. It's like having a car that sounds like Chris Tucker. Yeah. Yeah. You really wouldn't want one, would you? <laughs> or Chris Rock. <laughs> Macko. Macko. <laughs> you wouldn't want one, would you? <laughs> no. Take it back. All right. <laughs> Corbin. Go, go right, go in! Go to Dallas. Dallas! Go on, Dallas! Uh, yeah, uh, well, he is in the role to be Kit, to be the voice of Kit. Okay, who's, who's, who's Michael, Michael Knight? Michael Knight. Uh, John Cena. Uh, 
I can see that. Do you know what? But you have to have a really big kit. Yeah, <laughs> that is so, a kit this time is a massive a American flatbed truck. That's what he is. Yeah. He's like one of those four, massive Ford flatbeds. Have you seen the trailer for uh, the Carpool Karaoke TV series? <laughs> no, I have not. Is it the one with Will Smith? Yeah, but there's there's quite a few episodes in, and uh, there's one of them that's going to be John Cena and uh, Shaquille O'Neal. I'm in. And obviously, those are two big fellas. Th- they are. How big a car do they have to get? I think, like... There's, it, there's, it's a Hummer. There's, there's, like, a gag where, at the start, we tried to get into, like, a little fear or something. Love it. And the love it. Like, we're going to need a bigger car. So, the, the John Cena... I love that leap. That is such a leap. I'd go for but, John Cena, definitely. Well, that's because The Rock was busy, isn't it? That, yeah. That's why They offered it to I The Rock. I don't want him to be, like... Who you get when The Rock is busy? Because I think he's got some chops in his own life. I mean, I don't know. I think uh, Val Kilmer should be the voice of the car again. Valley Kilmer. But Valley Kilmer, because he was the voice in the in that awful, uh, that brilliantly awful, uh, short-lived one-season reboot series about ten years ago. Yes, he was. And uh, that show, wow, so brilliantly bad. Every track seemed to be named after like an awful disco track. But uh, I love when we do things like yeah, that. Yeah, it was a really bad sitcom a while ago, but I forget what it was called. It lasted one season, but every song was a Pearl Jam song. What? Yeah, and also Luke Cage. Every yeah. uh, title episode is a Wu Tang. Is song. it? Yeah. By the way, Defenders, did you love it? Yeah, I did. Really, I don't think I loved it, but I did really enjoy it. It, I, it was satisfying enough. It, it satisfied me completely. I, I actually yeah. did love it, um, but for me, it was just. It was. I think mostly on the level of, oh my god, we're finally getting the Daredevil I've always wanted to see on yeah. screen. Daredevil was great. It made me like Danny Rand. Yes, it did. He was very much even in spite of his silly exactly, shoes. He's very much like the Scrappy Doo of yeah. Defenders. Oh, he is, but yeah. works better with others. As it would, as it would uh, definitely be the case. So uh, let's talk then about a film you can't help but have seen on the side of buses this past week. Let's talk about Detroit, which is the latest from director Catherine Bigelow, still the only woman to have won the Oscar for Best Director. It is now 2017. Come on, there's about 80 years of Oscar ceremonies before this. Really? Anyway. Are you trying um, to start a Twitter campaign here, Van? Hashtag more lady directors, please. Um, <laughs> we've, we've got some news on that. We have, haven't we? Yeah. Um, so, uh, director Catherine Bigelow and uh, writer Mark Bowl, who brought us, together, brought us uh, The Hurt Locker, brought us Zero Dark Thirty. So, they know a fluffy rom-com when they see it. I like Zero Dark Thirty a lot. I do. I, I prefer The Hurt Locker's Zero Dark Thirty, but I now think this is the best of their three films together. This applies their usual uh, jovial action comedy formula to um, the, the late 1960s Detroit riots, in particular the night of the Algiers Motel murders. And what they've done is they, they start the story a few hours in advance, so sort of in the afternoon of that day, and they follow different characters in a sort of ensemble, chop-and-change, almost Pulp Fiction-like way, where it just cuts between one and the other, only a little bit more interwoven. Uh, storytelling fashion and the things they get up to that lead them to that motel, the events at that motel, and then the events that before them afterwards. Now, in this mix, you've got John Boyega, who is a, uh, a night security guard who's watching a store in the middle of these riots. You've got Will Poulter, who is a corrupt, not really corrupt, but a very, very racist uh, Detroit police officer. You've got um, you've got a supporting cast of, of basically basically the crop, the, the cream of the crop of young African American talent. Cream of the crop rise to the top. Exactly. Yep. But imagine how good your cream of the crop must be if Anthony Mackie is one of the lowest level members of it. I mean, really. Oh, and Hannah Murray from Game of Thrones turns up. Oh, Gilly. Gilly turns up, yeah, and she's got a great role here. Um, so, here's a clip. It says right there, 
Paratrooper eight years, two deployments, honorable discharge. This is a fake. No, sir. It's your girl? I just met her. What's his name? I don't know. His name is Carl Green. I wasn't asking you, I was asking her. You what's just his name? Said, what's his name? You're lucky I haven't broken your neck yet. <laughs> All right, man, I see what you're trying to do. I'm not going to cause any trouble, okay? But I'm not going to lie down for you either. What are you doing in Detroit, huh? Like everybody else, I'm looking for work. Left one war zone and join another. Yeah. So that's Will Poulter there with Anthony Mackey. Now, I don't think anyone really ever expected Will Poulter was going to be uh, an Oscar-worthy performer. No, no one ever expected that of him, I don't think. You know, you look back at Son of Rambo, no one thought, this kid's going places. <laughs> no one then looked at uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Voyage of the Dawn Tread and thought, wow, that, that kid is, that, that emerging tween is a total thesp. <laughs> but you know what? I'm, I'm going to say it. Will Poulter deserves an Oscar. And I never thought I'd say those words out loud. Uh, he's brilliant here. And he's, he's basically delivering what's effectively Kiefer Sutherland's performance from A Time to Kill. Only he's a cop. And he's genuinely terrifying here. Uh, I want to point out Algie Smith as well. Algie Smith, I think his name is. Who is uh, one, of the, uh, one of the central figures in the motel. He's one of the people being sort of held hostage by this, this corrupt and racist uh, police group. And it is such a suspenseful, riveting, very very difficult watch it is horrifying it knows it's horrifying it knows it's dark it knows it's grim there's no light to be found anywhere in it i mean thematic light i don't mean actual you know visible light because it's a surprisingly great looking film um as a period piece it's completely immersive as a drama it's unflinchingly engaging as a thriller it works surprisingly well as well as a performance piece it gives John Boyega, Will Poulter, and Aldi Smith absolutely the time of their careers here. John Boyega doesn't get that much in the way of dialogue, would you believe? There's a, but there's a lot of physical acting on his part. There's a lot, a lot of, of... A lot of face acting. A lot of the old face acting. And bear in mind that this is a guy who started off his big-budget career as a stormtrooper. There's a brilliant level of humour in that if you want to find it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I really, really dug this. This is some really something... It's a you know it's a story that I wasn't particularly aware of. Did you did you know about the Algiers Motel murders? Uh, a little bit. I think I knew the, the I knew the bare bones in passing, but I, I really didn't know the ins and outs. And it's amazing how much it plays with uh, with its conventions in being not so much a story of our time, but a story very very necessary for our time, because. This obviously came out a little while ago in the US, what, about a month back, something like that in the US? And it was deemed socially relevant then. In the week since that, you can only imagine how unbelievably relevant its international releases. Mm. Um, it's, it's absolutely terrific. I mean, it is ups- hands down, this is the film of the week. Everybody should go out and see this. And uh, incidentally, I, I went to the Curzon in Sheffield for the very first time to see this. And uh, I, it was like being in a screening room. It was like being in one of our, which you had the pleasure of last week, like being in one of our actual industry screening rooms. It was awesome! But, like, everyone behaved. I wasn't used to that. I was in a multiplex, well, not multi- well, multiplex, on a Saturday night with people behaving. But also, this is relevant to both you and I, sir, an amazing gin selection. That's good. That's good. Not only a great gin selection, they actually knew, the bartender, had an amazing knowledge of which tonics go with which one. 
I'm just going to give them props for that, because you never encounter that in the real world. Thank you very much to Curzon Sheffield for that, because it was a great screen. I really really enjoyed it. But I also thought the film was phenomenal. And yeah, film of the week, absolutely. So, what have we got coming up next week? Well, nothing next week. You and I are taking a uh, much-needed breather next week. Trick question. Ah, (laughs) ah, you sly boots. (laughs) Yeah, we'll be back the following week. We'll be back the following week. So, September 8th, we're back. Uh, A couple of titles that week. We've got The Work. Don't know much about that one. We've got Inseriated. I'm going to guess that has something to do with Syria. Uh, We've got Wind River, which is the one with uh, Jeremy Renner Renner and uh, Elizabeth Olsen, and is directed by the writer of Sicario. Yeah. Because he's a cheerful fellow. You know, Sheriff Hale from Sons of Anarchy. Knows a comedy. Yeah, knows a comedy when he sees it. Uh, we've got The Vault with Mr. Franco, because every week needs a Franco movie. Um, we've got a sequel I've been looking forward to for years. Is it Boo 2 and Medea Halloween? It is not Boo 2 and Medea Halloween, I'm, I'm ashamed to say. It's not Tron, it's Tron Ascension either, which, let's be honest, we're never seeing. We will never see. We'll never see that. Uh, no, it is Goon 2, Last of the Enforcers. I am so looking forward to this. Um, and, of course, not so much a remake, so much as the first ever theatrical adapt- feature film adaptation of Stephen King's It. Yeah. Because we all forget the last one was a TV movie. But, That's uh, going to make all the money. All, yeah, all. All the money for that one. Um, and also seems to scare the hell out of audience members mm. when they see that trailer, which is the best part about seeing public screens, yes. horror movies. But uh, So, yeah, I mean, we've got all those coming, and more on the 8th of September then. So in the meanwhile, this has been the Candice Double Production for On Screen. I've been Bangkok. I've been Case Allen. And we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, cut. So something I, I really need to ask a Terminator fan, Mr. Allen. I'm a Terminator fan. You are a Terminator fan. So, which is why you're perfect to ask. Mm. Okay, so you know in Terminator 2, the kid, uh, John Connor, when he's, he's like 10, he, he seems to have a level of knowledge... Uh, you know, sort of an awareness of the world that is obviously beyond his years. But when he talks about Sarah Connor, he does seem to imply that he's seen her quite recently, that she's only been locked up relatively recent to the story. So how, this, is, this is my question to you. I ask you, how long was she in that mental hospital, do you, do you think? Like, um, longer than a year. Longer than a year? Do you think, like, two years? Maybe yeah. since the kid was, like, eight? Yeah. Okay, that that's what I wanted to check. Because it never, it never is mentioned. But he seems to, like, he knows uh, people like the, the Enrique and the, 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 the survivalists when he goes to... He's, he speaks to them as if he hasn't seen them that long ago. It's like, how's it going, Enrique? And you're like, you, you, know, you sound like you saw this guy a couple of months ago. <laughs> like your best friend. Yeah, you know, he's like, oh, how you doing? Oh, you still keeping the guns over there? Cool, cool, cool. Hey, you still got that beer left it? Cool, okay, brilliant. You know, it's like that. It just it bugged me. I'd never really considered it before, but I, I'm going to believe that she was in that mental hospital for just two years. Let's say two years until James Cameron like doesn't have a retrofit, and there's a title card that comes up and says it's been two years. Also, do you find it weird now that Terminator Two is a film released in 1991, set in 1995? I do find that strange. They never acknowledge it's like that it's 22 years ago. Yeah, they never acknowledge that it's 1995 though. Hmm. So you kind of just assume it's 1991. Which, if you watch the movie without knowing that it's meant to be 1995, makes that kid kind of like six years old. Mm. Yeah. 
which is even weirder. It's a bit strange. <laughs> yeah, and then of course, you know, Terminator Three kind of tells us that he was making out with a young Claire Danes at the time, days before that movie, and yeah, mm. literally days before that movie. So mad. But as I say, the the great thing about Judgment Day is it did kill the ginger mullet kid. It did. The kid from Big. The kid from Big. I'm sorry for his, for his mullet and his denim waistcoats. That kid deserved to die. I'm sorry he did. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. I'm glad he's dead. Yeah, you, I'm glad you, he's you dead. You are asking for trouble if you're ginger and have a mullet and ginger mullet denim denim cut off waistcoat. No, 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 no. I don't think he calls it a waistcoat. It's more of a, it's like, it's a vest. All right, a waistcoat. fine. He's not John Virgo. Whiskers. Whiskers. Not wearing his whiskers. <laughs> Whisket sounds like the whisket. The whisket of the everyman. Yeah. But uh, yeah, have you ever heard Michael K. Williams is not going to be in Han Solo anymore? Yeah, yeah, he, I, I heard that as well. Like, really, you get Michael sucks. K. Williams and then lop him out? Yeah, it's because what they've now had to reshoot yeah. means that his character has to be cut out, which oh, really course. sucks. And I, I read from numerous places that he was going to be one of like the main villains as well. Oh, so I, d- I don't know, like, who is the antagonist of this thing now? Uh, the studio. Yeah, <laughs> the studio Kathy, is the antagonist. <laughs> yeah, Kathy. Kathy's yeah. the uh, Kathy's the villain now. And Grand Moff Kazdan. Yeah, exactly. Grand Moff. Ka- I like that. Grand Moff yeah. Kazdan. We'll use it. I feel like that should be his title for Evan Morner. Grand Moff Kazdan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, shall I review the Limehouse Golden really quickly? Yes. Okay. There's not much to say on this one. It is sort of a. It, it wants to be from hell. This one. So, but the general gist is: before the Ripper, there was dot 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 title of the film, the Limehouse Golem. Uh, you've got a killer who's you know ki- killing very random people throughout London. Um, a rookie, well, not a rookie, but a seasoned cop who's never investigated a murder before, played by Bill Nye, is assigned the case as a sort of a scapegoat move by the powers that be, and he determines there is a connection between the the killer and a woman who is on trial, played by Olivia Cook, who is a a former music hall star. Who's on trial for the murder of the murder by poisoning of her husband? Olivia Cook from Mina on the Dangle. Yeah. yeah, you know the the the, like the wide-eyed enchantress that was Olivia Cook in. She looks Mina like a Cook. mini uh, Marion Cotillard. She does. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so of course, these t- what you get then is a case of Bill Nye that involves a hunting the killer and b trying to on the bat burner prove the innocence <laughs> of Olivia Cook because he comes to realise the two cases are somehow linked. Uh, we have a clip. I'm Inspector Kildare of Scotland Yard. I'm investigating a series of deaths. They're calling them the Limehouse Golem Murders. At Ratcliffe Highway, he slaughtered a household. The previous week, a prostitute. The Golem's a madman. Even madness has its own logic. Inspector Kildare, I may have found an eyewitness in Limehouse, sir. I can't tell you what I know. Just assist me. I promise I won't let anything happen to you. His name is Inspector Kildare. I kept mishearing that as Colbert. And believe me, that'd be a very different movie, wouldn't it? Stephen Colbert adopting a Dick Van Dyke-like accent, you know, doing from hell. Um, the film has its moments, but never quite gets there. It really, really wants to be from hell. What it feels like instead is uh, a fusion of Midsummer Murders and Whitechapel. Is the best way to describe it. Now, obviously, Bill Nye's never bad in anything. Like, he's, we, he's Bill Nye. He's Bill Nye. He turns up, he does some nyeing, and he's fine. He does... Um, this with his hands. He does, he does, does the reverse points, the opposing points thing. Uh, 
and yeah, it, it, a good time for all. Um, the, the problem is that there are elements of it that never quite engage to the level that they need to to really sell the whodunit aspect of it. And you come away from it all thinking, I feel like if you'd given us more... Because he's got a list of suspects that includes, for instance, Karl Marx. And Karl Marx is effectively a cameo. And you think, well, do you know what? You've never really sold us on the idea when you get to the big reveal that it could have been any of the others because you've kind of shone too much light on who exactly it is long in advance. It's a very sloppily put together whodunit. And yet it comes from Jane Goldman. It's, it's written by, of all people, Jane Goldman, who one of these days needs to just start directing. I'm surprised that's not happening. I'm, I'm shocked. But, because uh, you do think, like don't she, you? She might do, like, the third Kingsman or something. Like yeah, that. something like that. Like, step into a series. Do she's her own, like, X-Men film. Because I really like First Class. Yeah, I do as well. And I, I would like more like that. She'd be ace. She would, yeah. yeah. But uh, also, it would be nice to have a feminine touch to those movies, actually, because they've been a bit uh, unnecessarily masculine for a long time. Like, yeah. X-Men needs to up the feminine quota a little bit mm. now. Um, but your Limehouse Golem never really fit for me. It is less stylish and less involving on all levels than From Hell Ever Was, and yet it has the need to force its own sense of gravitas that ultimately feels like a bit of a tease. Mm. Yeah, you come away from it. Apparently, well, this thing, apparently it did start Alan Rickman until he was forced to pull out due to illness, and then obviously... It seems like the kind of thing he would be in. Now, Alan Rickman, you can't you can't help but wonder if the presence of Alan Rickman really would have changed the tone of the film, because of how naturally sort of, un, you know, inadvertently sinister Alan Rickman was. You think, that could have added something to this, but it constantly brings up ideas that it never really develops. It's got this <laughs> recurrent theme about uh, sexuality and gender identity that it tries to do something with, it tries to play with, but it never quite gets there. And there is an element, for instance, about uh, to do with the sexuality of Bill Nye's character. So he's, he's viewed as an outsider because, as they put it, he's not the marrying kind. And, and you know, wink, wink. But they never do anything with that. That never comes up again. He likes his toast buttered on both sides. <laughs> but uh, And then towards the end of the film, there is a, an offhand sort of acknowledgement that maybe another character bats for the other side as well. But again, it, it builds to nothing. It comes to nothing. And they don't do anything with it. And you're thinking, okay, I feel like you put that in there because you thought you were being clever and subversive. You're not, though. I mean, it's not quite as ham-fisted as Rough Knight is, but... Fair enough, uh, but yeah, it ain't from hell. It's it's no. from it's from purgatory. We'll say <laughs> it's neither heaven nor hell. It's more purgatory. It's disposable. It's overlong as well. It is sort of at the two hour mark. It feels like you could chop this down quite easily. Uh, although Douglas Booth. Oh, yeah. uh, has a good time in it. He's basically channeling his inner Johnny Depp. He's basically doing an impersonation of Johnny Depp. Did I see him? He was really good in something. He um, was. In... It wasn't the Riot Club, was it? He's not bad in that, actually. No, he's not um, terrible. Man. Yeah, I think Right Club's all right. He was in Didn't a... Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, he was in that. He was in uh, an Agatha Christie um, adaptation. It was on BBC. Not last Christmas, Christmas before. Oh. Uh, and then there were none. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, was really good in that. Why do I think Aidan Turner was in that? Because he is in that. Because he is in that, okay. Yeah, as is uh, Sam Neill. Ah, well, you've got to have Sam Neill and everything. you got it. So, uh, over to you, sir. Uh, Patty Jenkins is going to be returning for Wonder Woman 2. Which is great news. That's good news. We like her. We like the first Wonder Woman. We're very big fans of Patty uh, Jenkins. It's not been disclosed how much she's going to be making from it, but it is going to be loads. Yeah, it's going to be like, isn't she going to be the highest paid female director in Hollywood? Yes. And more than just like a normal 
male filmmaker in the same situation usually would get paid as well. That's fantastic. Deserves it. She yeah, she absolutely does, yeah. I mean, that, it, I think it is her influence that made Wonder Woman what yeah. it is. But, uh, yeah, no, no, I don't think anyone could say that Gal Gadot was putting her, uh, her personality in the work. I think that was all Patty Jenkins, but... Well, did you hear that originally Patty Jenkins said that she wouldn't have cast Gal, Gal Gadot? No, I did not hear that. Not anything to do with her personally as an actress or her performance. She's particularly fill the mould of the... No, of the it, it, it was more of she would have just probably searched for someone based in America. She wouldn't have gone as international. Mm, yes, there is that. But she um, was obviously cast before... Patrick Jenkins came on to make it, and then it was just like, oh, she's amazing. <laughs> oh, she's great. Incredible. Now I have to, now I now have to put Themyscira this... off the coast of Israel in order for the accents to make sense. And yeah. by the way, and everyone, then... all American cast members, yeah. learn to speak Israeli, because you're doing that now. And then Case got a word in edgewise. Sorry. Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's always bugged me there. It has yeah. always, like, you've got Robin Ryan, Colin Nissen. But uh, Israeli accents, please. I know you're basically meant to be Greek, but <laughs> yeah. uh, Israeli everyone, film. everyone fit what Diana's doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, we've not spoken about uh, the Obi Wan Kenobi spin-off. That's no, finally been sort of semi-confirmed a little bit. Yeah, is it? <laughs> yeah. Is it? I think this one actually got confirmed, didn't it? I don't. know. It was in the trades, so Lucasfilm haven't made an official okay uh, announcement about mm. it. But uh, Stephen Dolder, who did uh, Billy Elliot and The Hours, and he's He's good. Good director. Yeah. Pretty good, yeah. Made trash. It came out a couple of years ago, I think. Which one? Trash. Trash. I don't think I saw that one. Yeah. It was, it was all right, actually. What, what was trash? It had Martin Sheen, and it was about... I think it was set in Brazil, I believe. About kids going through, like... Going through trash, essentially. No, no, I didn't see that one. Yeah, it's pretty no, decent. That uh, yeah, he is in talks to uh, direct it. I think he's a pretty decent choice. So, I think the, the, the $50 million question... Oh, are we getting you and back for this? I think you've got to. I think you do. You've got to. <laughs> if it's set between sort of, you know, Revenge of the Sith and New Hope, if you get someone else, will be probably an, an outcry. Well, because he's he is good. He's good as Obi Wan. He is. He is. Yeah. I, I would love to see like they, they if if they were going back to the old model of they're going to be experimental standalone ones. Give us the Obi Wan Mad Max movie. That would be amazing. That would be great, wouldn't it? Then we're not going to get that. But, no, get get George Miller to make that film. Yeah, you get George Miller to make that, totally. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to see a badass Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. You know, like, full ass-kicking. Not just asking, like, taking yeah. names, Obi-Wan and Kenobi. And then suddenly he's got a Glaswegian accent. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd love to see him, like, just, just proper, you know, head-butting people. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a blaster, like, secured away. You know, just, just like a proper ass-kicking, snake plissken style Obi-Wan Kenobi. That'd be amazing. That's the movie I want to see you. Ewan McGregor starring yeah. from the director of Billy Elliot. Uh, do you want to tell me about uh, Una? I do want to tell you about Una because this is going to prove quite controversial, this film. And uh, in, in the way that The Woodsman did many years ago. Oh, with uh, Kevin Bacon? With Kevin Bacon. Yeah, I think that's a really great performance. Right, okay. Can I, can I, let's talk about The Woodsman for a second. Mm. Right, because a story, I'm never, not sure if I ever told you this story. All right. Years ago, when I was at college working for Blockbuster, um, the movie The Woodsman came out. Now, in this country, it didn't go theatrical. It went straight to DVD. Uh, it had quite a cool-looking uh, sort of box art, and, you know, Kevin Bacon's name, big letters. And as was, you know, par for the course in about 2004, 2005, if you got a big, you know, a big-name actor on a DVD cover, pretty much first night, first Friday of release, it, it sold out. You know, the, it, every copy went out of the store. Yeah. Now, Blockbuster wound up refunding most of the rental fees for that film. Huh. Or at least they did in the store I worked in, which was in Leighton Buzzard at the time. 
And uh, we had so many people bring that movie back out of offense. They were offended, really? genuinely offended by the existence and scolded us personally, not the company, us as individual people. Because it, well, it's your fault, yeah, isn't it? For yeah. renting it to people, for actually giving people access to this film. They shouldn't, scolded shouldn't it be their fault for not being able to read what the film was about on the back of the box. Yeah, now I went down that road with, road with a few people, which it literally tells you the plot on the back of the box. This movie is about... Uh, you know, a, a, an incarcerated paedophile who has been let loose back into the world is trying to rebuild his life. Hmm. You you can see on the back of the box, that's the storyline. If you don't read it, that's on you. Yep. <laughs> if you're going to go with movies based on cover art, hmm. I'm sure you're going to have a more interesting life, but uh, that's totally on you. Yeah, You know, yeah. But, uh, Colin Firth said that that is the best performance he's seen an actor give. In like the, I think it was the last thirty years he said. Really? Yeah. I, do you know what? I can I can understand that. I can understand. He said it is so hard to make a yeah. character that's done that kind of horrendous. It is an amazing performance, isn't it? It, so, it like, really is. Yeah. Like that might be the genuine dramatic performance of Kevin Bacon's career. I feel like it wasn't because it wasn't theatrically released. Here, it wasn't as rewarded yeah. as it should have been. But I think that's the subject matter. Because how do you market that one? Mm. But uh, okay, so now that we've talked about the woodsman, let's talk about something vaguely similar. So, Una, which stars Ben Mendelsohn and Rooney Mara. Now, Rooney Mara is Una. She is a young woman who's leading a vaguely sort of unfulfilling life. Like, she's really... We get the impression she's going through the motions. We're shown her just basically plodding through the day. In the evening, she goes to a club. Uh, She just, you know, she tries to enjoy herself, doesn't quite. She basically (laughs) finds the the first guy she can can talk into it and has kind of anonymous, faceless sex in a toilet Mm. cubicle. And then the next morning carries on with her day still lives in her in her childhood home with her um, uh, now you know a mother in her adult years one day she sets out to go and uh, reconnect with someone she hasn't seen for a long time and we very very quickly discover that the man she is she is there to see is in fact the adult man who when she was 13 years old she embarked on a sexual relationship with her dad's friend the next door neighbor ray played by ben mendelson the pair then over the course of an evening hiding away in sort of the the big sort of it's almost like a a, a b&q warehouse hiding away in the recess of this b&q warehouse hash out their sort of catch-up speech kind of revisit certain things that happened in the past, how he appeared to have abandoned her. Because the idea is that uh, when when he was sent down, she wanted no part of putting him away. Mm. As a young girl, she very much loved him. She she wanted to be with him and never saw anything wrong with their relationship and that neither did he. And that he himself doesn't view their relationship as effectively, you know, an act of paedophilia. He views it as a genuine, full-blooded adult relationship that he happens to have had with a 13-year-old girl. So obviously this goes into very murky terrain once you start looking into that. Um, we have a clip of the two meeting for the very first time. Well, as adults, anyway. I'm looking for Ray. Do you know him? Ah, what does he look like? I was about my height, young, good-looking, yeah? He's, uh, this man. Ah, that's Pete. Pete? Yeah, my boss. Should be around here somewhere. Take over, please. Yeah. 
Come this way, please. So as you can hear from that, from that, Riz Ahmed does play a role as well. And uh, right. I mean, you kind of got to start this one on the performances. The performances of of your your central three cast members. I mean, Riz Ahmed actually is quite quite support, very much a supporting role. But of uh, Rooney Mara and Ben Mendelsohn, wow. I mean, neither have ever been bad performance. Um, ben Mendelsohn is really, really giving it his all here, and. I feel like Ben Mendelsohn might have the more difficult role of the two. Uh, even though Rooney Mara's character is, is more infinitely broken, it is Ben Mendelsohn who ha- kind of has to ca- walk a very difficult line. And he's just a, a good enough performer to manage it. He, he's, I'm not saying that as if he's never usually good enough. I yeah, mean, he's usually great. He's usually great. I mean, he's, he's good enough to just about pull it off because it's that difficult. And, and and he does. And Rooney Mara as well really brings an investability to this character. You you feel you kind of you, you feel exactly where you need to for that for that character, for it to actually not so much make sense, because obviously it does, but in order to actually get the emotional position from what from you know from where she's coming. Because obviously it's it's, it's very, very dark subject matter. Um it's staged very much as a sort of chamber piece in this being, say, in very tight-knit corners in this labyrinthile sort of textile warehouse, kind of a Home Depot kind of thing, basically where the third act of The Equalizer comes from. By the way, film news about The Equalizer later. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, say, it's, it's based on the play Blackbird by David Harrow, who has also adapted it for the screen. It's directed by Benedict Andrews, and it is really something i was captivated by it i was enthralled by it. i was fascinated by how they'd staged it and one of the cleverest things they've done is for the longest time they show you the depiction because they have flashbacks interspersed throughout they constantly cut away to a different flashback of certain elements just just moments of time not great big acts not the big beats of their their, their relationship in the past but just flashes of memory that appear here and there. The kind of things that you, you would just pop into her mind or his mind. And then they may not theatrically match up to where those characters are at the moment, but for us as the audience, it shows us enough. And what they've done in the earlier ones is they've staged it in such a way as to only show her and never show him. So the big reveal early on of you know Ben Mendelsohn being this guy actually has some gravitas, and it does work. Yeah, and obviously you know it is him because he's on the poster. You know that's what it's got to come, but the way they introduce him actually does make sense. And the look of absolute shock and dis- you know shock, dismay, and elation on his face all at the same time is really something, and it does remind you, God, Ben Mendelsohn needs to be in, like, every movie. Like, what was the Alabama one he did with Ryan Reynolds? Uh, Mississippi Grind. Mississippi. <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I yes. mean, this guy is... He's just one of the best out there. He yeah. really is. I mean, he you, is going to be in Ready Player One. He is? Is he one of the villains? Yes. He's the villain, the villain, I believe. And he's the Sheriff Nottingham in that Robin Hood film that's coming out next year. I think it's just Robin Hood Origins now. Something like that. Is that the Taron Egerton one? Yeah. yeah. The one where Jamie Foxx is playing Little John. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure Ben Mendelsohn will be the best thing about that movie. He's one of those actors yeah. you can always say that about. Well, look at Rogue One. How good is he in Rogue One? He's mm. amazing in Rogue One. But uh, that's partly why that CG effect of Grandma Tarkin is so awful, because it happens in the presence of a great presence mm. like uh, Ben Mendelsohn. But no, I I mean, I've, 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 I've heard very snooty comments from certain other critic friends of mine who've, who've seen it, and they weren't taken in by it at all. I mean, one of them said, oh, it was the worst film I've seen all year. I'm like, 
<coughs> Dark Tower. Clearly no. didn't see The Untamed. Didn't see awesome. The Untamed, didn't see Dark Tower. By the way, a critic friend of mine uh, had Untamed as his recommendation of the week. Just putting that out there. Uh, why, why are you friends? I, I don't know. Person. I, I want to sit him down and be like, who hurt you? Who hurt you? <laughs> but, what, uh, t- what tentacle monster is keeping you hostage? <laughs> exactly, yes. Please, tell, tell me about the demons keeping you hostage. But no, Una is really something. He's a really powerful drama. There's elements of like Death and the Maiden in there as well. So something like The Woodsman, but also Death and the Maiden, without the being tied to a chair aspect. But I do think it is a film that would not work anywhere near as well if it weren't those two actors, if it mm. were not Rooney Mara, if it were not Ben Mendelsohn. And also, Rooney Mara needs to do a comedy at some point, I think, for her own mental health. Never seen a smile. I've never seen a smile. No, I haven't. But, like, for her own mental health, we need to get this woman in a comedy. Just at some point. Just guest star in an episode of, I, I don't know, uh, Broad, City Broad City or something. City, yeah. yeah. Just star in a comedy for 20 minutes. Just she, to, Dean and, I'm going to go to her IMDb. Up. Has she? I'm going to have a look. I don't know. I know her sister's done a lot more stuff like Kate Mara's more the uh, more the sort of all rounder, but Rooney Mara is really... Rooney Mara was in Pan. I guess you can call that a comedy. Yeah, you kind of can. You kind of can. But uh, no, she's. I, I, I mean, her, her last few films: Song to Song, A Ghost Story, uh, uh, The Discovery, which I'm still not seeing. Lion. Lion. I mean, yeah. Secret Carol. Oh, she was in Trash. Yeah, she was. Oh, yeah, what was the small world? Oh, she's, she's in her. She's in her, yeah, we forgot yeah. that. Okay. Um, Body Saints, Girl, Dragon Tattoo, obviously. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, which is absolutely hilarious for all the wrong reasons. Uh, she had two episodes oh, of ER. I never knew that. Yep. Uh, Women's Murder Club. She's one of the women. Youth from Revolt is kind of a comedy. Yeah, I suppose. But is she, she's not like the lead or anything in that, but... No, she no. This this woman. I'm sorry, Rooney Mara. You need to do a comedy, dear. I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm worried for you. I'm I'm worried for you. I'm thinking of you. Do a comedy because th- this can't be doing you good. Doing this all she the time. She is going to be in uh, Boo to a Medea Halloween. Is she? No, she's not. Oh man, how great would that be? That would be amazing. I'd watch that. But also, how how subversive of our expectation would it be to see her in a comedy? Mm. Yeah, you know. Prove wrong, Rooney. Pruner's wrong. Pruner's wrong. Pruner's wrong. Pruner's wrong, too, if you like, but Pruner's wrong first. Have you heard about uh, who's been cast in the Queen biopic? So we've, 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 got, yes. we've got Full Queen. Name. Full Queen. So this is Queen the band, not like a sequel to the Helen Mirren. The... Although there kind of was a sequel to that. It's, yes, it's there a was. a stage play called The Audience. There was, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah which is really good. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. Is, Clever title. Which is a song. By them. That's a song. You might have heard. Queen. Okay. Uh, yeah, we, we have full Queen. So we knew that uh, Rami Malik was going to be Freddy. I'm, I'm a big fan of Rami Malik. I yeah, think you are as I well. Like have you seen Mr. Robot? I've seen some of Mr. Robot. Seen Mr. Robot? Okay. Yeah. Have I'll, you gotten to I'll the? Like another thing. Have you gotten to the big first season reveal? By the way, yet? No. No. Okay. Go back and watch it, but don't stop until you get to that reveal and see if it messes your world up because it did mine. Anyway. Okay. Carry on. Yeah, he's Freddie Mercury, as I was just saying. Um... Gwillem Lee is going to play in Brian May. Does actually look quite a lot like Brian May, just not with big curly hair. Well, I, you can give him a wig. Do you know those those wigs? They sell those wigs in Poundland. They I mean, it's not hard to find a Brian May wig. Yeah. But. <laughs> um, ben Hardy from uh, X Men Apocalypse will be Roger Taylor. That great thespian from from X Men Apocalypse. Yeah, I mean, you, you need to be blonde, don't you? Yeah, he's, he's that's like the criteria. Yeah. And uh, Joe Mazzello from Social Network and from. Jurassic Park. Timmy. 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 He's going to be John Beacon. And he actually looks, looks like John Beacon. I never realised. Yeah, you, I had the same moment. I'm like, oh, actually, yeah. Because yeah. I, I saw an image where they stacked them up I against the real guys. Yeah. 
And yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Wow. He's really great. I remember Joe Mazzello popped up. Didn't he get his sort of his big adult adult years comeback in? Was it Band of Brothers? Something like that, uh, or the Pacific, the Pacific. Or, was it the Pacific? Yeah, and I believe that Rami Malek was in the Pacific as well. Was he? Yeah, I think so. I've never seen the Pacific. I only saw Band of Brothers, but my dad's a big fan because that's it's a dad all, show. All dads, are. all dads have that DVD set, don't they? It's mm. like a requirement. It's like only it's like if you were alive in the seventies and you want a copy of Frampton Comes Alive on vinyl. <laughs> they just they sent them out to every home in the suburbs in the seventies, according to Wayne's World, anyway. But uh, um, Pedro Pascal will be uh, the main villain in the Equalizer Two. You mean the Re-Equalizer? The Equalizer, which but it won't be called, but I want it to be called. I want it to now. Yeah, but uh, we need a title. We need an official title. I'm happy about Pedro Pascal though because I want him He's in more great. big things. Yeah, and I want him to have more prominent roles like that. <laughs> uh, I liked him in uh, The Great Wall. I thought he, he did a pretty good I job. Still didn't see the Great Wall. He's he's a young Banderas. Yeah, that's what you want. That's what he is. Yeah. He's Banderas in 1992. <laughs> Yes. You know, just before he was big, mm. in like 92, when you used to get Banderas turning up for that sort of showy role, showy but unappreciated role that he used to have in like thrillers and things, yeah. that is who Pedro Pascal is right now. So, yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah. But yeah, he calls, are we still, are, we're still getting Fuqua, aren't we? Uh, we're still getting it as a Fuqua film right now. Excellent. Need more Fuqua films in my life. I feel like there should be a films. Fuqua app. There should be a Fuqua, a Fuqua app. Fuqua app that Fuqua. just shows Fuqua films on your Fuqua app. He's, he's got enough films. He has. He has now. Yeah. But uh, only films. your unfortunate sides will all be made to rewatch King Arthur that way. But yeah. <laughs> I forgot that was him. And not even the worst yeah. King Arthur movie of the last decade. So, you know, go figure. Good for him. Good for him. Good for him. But uh, um, so Hotel Salvation. Hotel Salvation. Uh, there's not uh, not an awful lot to say on this one. It's a very visual piece. So this is uh, this is an, an Indian set piece, and it's a lot to do with mortality and the end of life and one's own sort of self perspective. It's about a grown man who sort of uh, his father is facing the end of his years. He wants to go and village uh, village. He wants to go visit. Sorry, the holy city of uh, Varanasi. Nasi, I think we're told. And the idea is that you go there, you sit on the river, and you attain you know, salvation. You, you assess your life, you assess you know, your place in the universe, and you sort of make peace towards the end. And they go and they check into a hotel, the, the, the hotel of the title, obviously, um, and, and that's it. They sort of live out the sort of... He lives out his final sort of days there, and his son finds himself staking around a lot longer than he'd like to. He finds himself, for the very first time in his life forced to actually care for his father and starts to assess reassess as it were his relationship with his father but also how it affects him and his his own self perspective um it's a very very visually striking film and it's a film that's really steeped in subtext and steeped in meaning and steeped in metaphor just steeped it is it's steeped it's a very steeped movie <laughs> Um, but this, it's, it's written and directed by uh, Sebastian Mutiani, and uh, whose work I wasn't overly familiar with. But he's got a great eye for this. It's a beautiful looking film, and given because obviously with a lot of the of the Hindu holy sort of uh, locales, there's a lot of great visuals you can drink in. And he's found a way to stage this in a really uh, understated, very soft yet lavish kind of a way, and you really do fall for it. I mean. The emotional quotient works because of the visual quotients as well, but also the, the two central performances 
are very engaging. They are very investable. Um, there's not an awful lot on the narrative front. It's very much a character piece, and it is all subtitled as well. So if that's something that puts you off, stick away. But uh, if you're if you're looking for something out of the ordinary, something not quite in line with I don't know the Hitman's Bodyguard. Check this out, and I think you'll actually be, be strangely impressed. Um, but say, it is a beautiful film, and it is quite moving, but it is very much all about the character, less about the plot. So, obviously, we'd have a clip, because foreign language, but, uh, yeah. Did you hear that uh, Jerry Lewis passed away? I did. Yeah. Was that? Yeah, he was 91. Is there a French year of mourning? <laughs> there should be. There should be, because he was basically God to the French. Yeah, which is a bit strange. It, it, it was one of those things, wasn't it? It was yeah. very weird. It's like Hasselhoff and Germany. Yeah. It, it's so it's weird. Like, you really don't have, you talk to them. Yeah, different... It's like Seagal and Russia. Different countries just have the Which ones they like. Yeah. Well, I, I knew him from being in the original uh, Nutty Professor. It's like North Korea and Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Why? Anyway, but yeah, he... he Starred in so many classics. Isn't he the original Nutty Professor? I uh, literally just what I said. Sorry, go on. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Flubber, was that one of his as well? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. It's all right. Uh, yeah, he was in uh, The King of Comedy as well. Oh, of course. Yeah, that's probably I know him for the yeah. best. I think to our sort of age bracket, that, that is kind of where we, we get we get the most from. Mm. But, uh, yeah, he was he was sort of derided, wasn't he, stateside? A little bit, yeah. Kind of, his star kind of waned a little bit. Yeah, he was sort of looked down upon, and then sort of the French seemed to discover him yeah. one day, and he was embraced as... Uh, as he, Den- will, he will be ours now. He will be, yeah. As Dennis Leary famously said, France, country that made Jerry Lewis famous, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, so, but, I don't yeah, know. Sad, sad news. Yeah, he passed out at right old, ripe old age, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, should we do our last review and then we'll just go out with loads of film names? Yes, let's get this done. So, um, I've got a wick in the bush. Bushwick. Bushwick! Uh, right, so Bushwick comes to us. Uh, it's the second feature film from the directors of... Do you remember Cooties? Oh, yeah. Remember that awesome zombie comedy? Yeah. Yeah, right. If you've never seen Cooties, absolutely go and see Cooties. Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's, on, it's on DVD, it's on On Demand now. Definitely watch Cooties. Never ever watch Bushwick. <laughs> Don't do that. That way, man. This is from the same people. This is from the same people. This is right. Here's your setup. Right. So Britney Snow. You know the 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 alpha from uh, Pitch Perfect. Mm. The, the the main yeah. girl who sort of accosts uh, yes. Anna Kendrick in the shower. Right. She turns up in. Uh, she gets off the the train in in Bushwick, which is a, a, a suburb of Brooklyn. Uh, with her college boyfriend, she's come home from college to, you know, visit her parents. She's going to introduce the boyfriend to the parents for the first time. No sooner, they don't even manage to walk all the way up the steps to the street before her boyfriend is set aflame and killed. Wow. Because, yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, credit where it's due, that is, what, that is the definition of an Why? inciting incident. Why? Because it turns out... The entirety of Brooklyn is under siege. The purge is basically taking place. Society has folded in on itself. It is a war zone of unimaginable calibre. People are dying left, right and centre. There are flamethrowers, there are grenades, there are rocket launchers, there are Uzis in the streets. <laughs> so, Brittany Snow, now on her own, obviously, and, you know, because, you know, shish kebab to boyfriend, less enticing to take home to her parents, um, teams up with a sort of survivalist figure, an ex military figure now working as a janitor named Stoop played by Stoop Stoop. I'll get to why he's named Stoop in a minute well why I think he's named Stoop anyway Uh, played by Dave Bautista 
And together, they, they band together, and they go in search of Britney Snow's sister, who happens to live nearby and has been getting high throughout all of this and not noticed it going on. That's some good weed. That's some good weed. But, but some, but some heavy doobies. Do you know what she... That's some heavy doobies. You know what she thinks it is? Oh, it's, it, it's, it's those assholes upstairs playing Call of Duty all day. Right. She thinks an ad- <laughs> this is a movie that genuinely expects to be an actual war taking place outside your apartment. Sounds like your neighbours playing Call of Duty with the surround sound turned Those on. Some big speakers. They are. I mean, I've got a great home cinema system. It doesn't sound like that, though. Does not. But uh, I once used a toilet cubicle next to an IMAX screen of, D- of Dunkirk, though. That's uh, oddly pressuring. That's, that's yeah, very pressuring, I'll be honest. Kind of wonder how they did it in the actual event, to be honest. But uh, anyway, uh, so whilst they're uh, trying to rescue the sister, scoop her up and take her on the way, take uh, her with them, um, as, as, as happens, a SWAT team member, or a guy dressed in SWAT gear, comes abseiling through the living room window and Dave Batista questions him. Hence our clip. Texas is seen from the United States. By the order of the fathers of the new American coalition, we are united force with the goal of establishing an independent nation free from government tyranny and the right to live our lives the true American way. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Sir? Yeah, it's not a really particularly America. thoughtful <laughs> film. Yeah. It, it does feel like a flash preview of another year of Trump's presidency, but uh, aside from that, what this actually wants to be is a sort of gimmick-free version of The Purge. Mm. So what they've done is tried to make the gritty, straight-faced, non-franchise horror film version of The Purge. The Purge. So all-out war, how you walk from point A to point B. Um, right, Britney Snow and, and Dave Batista. Perfectly fine performances from both. And we kind of expect that because they're both quite capable performers. Batista has very much proven himself in the last two years. Absolutely. Uh, More than. I mean, he's been in his share of pretty crappy direct-to-DVD stuff in the last two years between the big theatrical ones where you just think, thank God you've got the gravitas to just about make that work. Uh, Brittany Snow is, you know, she's she's a serviceable actress, never anything more than that. I mean, she's she's the daughter in The Pacifiers. That's the kind of role you get her for. Although, very good playing a neo-Nazi in in a story arc on Nip Tuck, if you've never seen that. Yes. But uh, didn't they mutilate mutilate a transsexual? Was that the end of that storyline? Yeah. That was terrifying to watch. Um, But anyway, so and also very poignant for today's America. But uh, anyway, the problem is you've got these two capable performers front and centre for it all, and the film feels that there's no need to do anything more than that. The plot, as you just heard it in that script, never gets more defined than that. That is the exposition of the film. That's the explanation. This this far, no further. Hmm. Right. No more explanation than that. That is the concept of the movie in exactly that form. And you think, that's what you're hanging a movie on, really? Because I don't understand how this, how the logistics of this work. And also, where was she at college that they managed to launch an entire war in the duration of her train journey? Because, really? She can only be about eight hours away, surely. Mm. I'm going to know it's America, so it'll be about three days. So at some America point, is big. Yeah, yeah. At some point in about three days, without her getting off the train, without her checking the internet, without watching TV, anything like that, this has happened. Okay, that makes complete sense. That's totally what would happen. Twitter is not a thing in this universe. Um, it's also very, very poorly staged. What they've done is they've tried to make it look like uh, a Veritas, sort of in the thick of very handheld, fluid camera movement. 
And what they've tried to do, I emphasize the word tried, is make it look like one continuous take. The only problem with that is it's so uninteresting, so unengaging, and frankly so dull, that you actually may not notice that. You might not. It all looks like one of those really dull first-person cutscenes from a Call of Duty game. Mm. You know that scene where you're you're looking through the eyes of the guy who's got like a bullet wound and he watches the action happening across the... Like that. That's the entire movie. And frankly, this is less entertaining than you watching me or me watching you play a Call of Duty game. It, it, it is that unentertaining. Uh... Yeah, could have been great. It sounds Isn't. a bit rubbish. It yeah. is a bit rubbish, to be honest. Shame. And the best thing I took away from it was it's a wick in a bush. Bush wick. Yeah. Meh. Which is more imaginative than anything in the That's film. But, yeah. Mm. So, I see. I, I didn't rate it, to be honest. Have yeah. we not got more news? Uh, we've, we've got some, but it's all just like... <laughs> Why? Do, do, can we just, we we just d- dump them all out? Let's go through them. Ed Screen is going to be... Uh, in Hellboy? In Hellboy. He's yep. going to be in, in, in the Hellboy reboot. We don't know who he is. We He's going to be... He might be the amphibian guy. That'd be cool. <laughs> no, he, I know he is playing a Japanese-American <laughs> what's, character. What's, what's his name? A- is it Abe Sapien? Abe Sapien. Abe Sapien. Abe Sapien. Doug Jones, isn't it? Yeah. Have you heard the rumour that... Um, do you know the Del Toro Shape of Water? No. Is that Abe Sapien? There's a rumour that that could be... A oh, cool. my God, that... That, that well, would be amazing. Oh, well, actually, the period setting would make sense. The period setting makes a lot more sense. Secret prequel. Se- stealth, is this like when they tried to claim that life was going to be the Venom prequel? <laughs> yeah. Now, I will maintain, by the way, that would have made life so much more interesting. But uh, I'm trying to think what else there is. Oh, there's a rumour floating around about Jabba the Hutt movie, isn't there? Yes, I don't know if that'll ever happen. No, Jabba the Hutt and Boba Fett apparently are up for movies. Yeah. Uh see, with John Cena we've covered... Oh, uh, remember that premium VOD thing? Uh, no. Premium VOD, the studios were teaming up with certain streaming platforms to offer theatrical releases 30 days after their debut for like a markup of 30 or $50. Apparently, Apple, Amazon and Comcast are in on that now, and it's going to be New Year. So, New Year, you'll be able to watch Star Wars Episode Eight at home. Oof, amazing. About the 10th of January, I'd imagine. Uh, Maz Kanata in Han Solo? Yeah. I'd be happy with that. Yeah, you really liked Maz Kanata. I love Maz Kanata. She's fine. She's just fine. No? I didn't, I didn't have that much of an opinion on her to hate her all over. Oh, I liked her with little bumhole eyes. And yeah, that was fun. She had, she had anus face? Anus face. Anus face. <laughs> like arse face from Preacher. <laughs> exactly. Um, Glass, by the way, has been confirmed to be the end of the Unbreakable Split storyline. Yeah. It's not, I think that makes yeah, sense. It's not an ongoing thing. It's the end. It's, it's the culmination. Yeah. Those two films that we didn't think were connected, but they are connected. Yeah, they are connected and now they're over. So, fine. Yeah. Um, oh, Paul Shear, who does how does it how does this get made, is writing the Galaxy Quest series for Amazon. Yes, that's cool. Right? Do you know this? Is it going to be a continuation, or are they just redoing I don't, it? I think they're just redoing it. Because once you've lost Alan Rickman, I think that's the smartest way to do it. Yeah, because you can't replace Alan Rickman at all. He was too good in that role. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, Game Auditora might be doing Fantastic Voyage next. Yep. Cool. If I'm ever going to see anyone's version of that, I'd rather it's see. Rather it be his. Rather it be his. Uh, Holston Sage X Men. It's going to be uh, Dazzle, is it? Dazzler. Dazzler. Who's a, a, like a musician. She's a, a pop pop star. Yeah, it was rumoured that it was going to be Taylor Swift, who apparently filmed some stuff as Dazzler for the last X-Men film. But really? Out, yeah. I never heard that. It was a, it was a rumour because there was a picture of James McAvoy and maybe Sophie, uh, Sophie Turner hey. with, with Taylor Swift because she was in Vancouver. And 
I, I watched the about. opening the other day of, of Secret Life of Pets and didn't realise that that song that plays very loudly over the opening of that movie is Taylor Swift, which means there is a Taylor Swift movie, a Taylor Swift song that I genuinely like, which is a first for me. Um, it is going to be an IMAX. Is it? It is. They're, 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 <laughs> it is. It, it, yeah. it is. Yes, it is in IMAX. That's exciting. Also, huh. think about this one, because we were discussing this the other day. When was the last time there was a major horror film in IMAX? I generally can't remember. I can't. It doesn't tend to happen, does it? It tends to be no. big temple movies, but never really horror films. And also, does a horror film work in IMAX? Yeah. Because the whole convention of horror is the frame, isn't it? So... Yeah. Can that What's frame... the most unnecessary film you've ever seen in IMAX? Uh, most unnecessary ever? Yeah. Ooh, what was that last Die Hard? Uh, good Day to Die Hard. <laughs> yeah. Die Hard... UPKA Mother Russia. Yeah, exactly. That one, or... <laughs> when I remember when you cut your hand that time, I had to give you a plaster, and what we had were the Die Hard plasters. Yes. You had a UPKA Mother Russia <laughs> was, plaster around you. That was your... great. That was the best thing to come out of Die Hard 4. Uh, Die Hard 5, sorry, yeah. not 4. Um, also, Taken 3. That was pretty dire in Zach IMAX. Zach Green was in IMAX. That was, that was uh, I terrible. saw uh, Focus with Will Smith and Margot Robbie. Did that, you see that in IMAX? That was in IMAX. Why? Why did they ever release that in IMAX? What? Who, where was the market for that? I didn't pay to see it at IMAX. Oh, you worked there at the time, I, didn't you? I, I worked at the cinema, oh. so I just, uh, yeah. There is news about Gremlins 3 this week. Mm. Apparently, uh, Christopher, is it Chris Columbus? Or Chris Columbus has finished the script for it, and it is, quote, twisted and dark. <laughs> it, it is. Good. <laughs> it's also gonna, apparently going to finally answer the question, why does no one just kill Gizmo? Is yeah. It, is it going to have Judge Reinhold come back? Oh, man, That's I hope. I'm... Have you ever seen an episode of the Clerks animated series in which Judge Reinhold is actually a judge? Yeah, and then he does the same thing uh, in Arrested Development. Yeah, well. he does. Yeah. Because that's the natural gag to go with that. Well, that's it. I've burnt off all the news I have now. Yeah, I think that's, that's all the most exciting news that's happened. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of it, that's really. It. Well, yeah, so we, we've, we've discussed, obviously, uh, John Connor and, and Sarah Connor. So I've had that answered for me, which is fine. Thank you for that, by the way. I needed that resolving. No problem. Um, well, yeah. I guess that's it. We're that's off. It. We're off for like ten days now. We shall yeah. return. We, we we shall return. On which note, do you want do you want to cue us out? Here it is. Your moment of cage. Uh, how was your summer? Did you do anything uh, special? Well, well, actually, it's funny you should you should uh, ask me that because you, you you know I have an interest in zoology. I, I think, and uh, I just I just acquired uh, two king cobras. Oh my god! Uh, a male and a female, and the female's name is Sheba. And the male's name is Moby because he's an albino, so it's like Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I have him behind uh, two computer locked doors behind bulletproof glass. And I, um, I like to go in there. Well, actually, if they bite me, I, I won't get bit. But if they do, I've got 15 minutes to live. So I have to get like an antidote, which is next to the cage. And I just plunge into my knee and I'll be all right. That's not going to happen. But uh, I like to go in there in my red leather chair, you know, with a glass of wine and, and watch them as, as they're watching me. And sometimes Moby will sort of do this little charming snake dance and show his back to me. He's got this like little round circular pattern on the back of his uh, his back, and he's doing this dance. And every now and then I'll just turn around and go, F- you, I want to f- kill you. <laughs> <laughs>